All right, we're in our second to last sermon now, and kind of these, these core values of the church, the vision of the church, it's simple, it's just kind of Holy Spirit minimalism. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, being together deeply with one another in relationship, the breaking of bread, feasting, hospitality, especially feasting on God's promises at the table. And the prayers, they devoted themselves, they gave their lives to these things. Because they knew, they knew that these weren't things they had to do, this early, thriving, beautiful, blossoming church, with all of its glory and all of its messiness, not things they had to do, but things they wanted to do, because here's where the power lies. It's great to have a nice building, programs, structure, Staff that's well-paid and semi-well-dressed. These are not bad things. But every single Sunday, John and I in my office, we pray the same prayer. The same prayer for you all and for us every Sunday. Lord, if you don't show up and move, this is all for nothing. You know, it's, it's some good songs and a half-baked TED Talk. And maybe we feel pretty good when we leave. But, but really, you know, who can change hearts? Not the best song, not the best speaker, not the best anything, only God's. And we pray, Lord, if you don't show up by your spirit to work in and through your word for your people, to unite us across our differences, and then to send us to die, to self-sacrificially love this city, which often is beautiful and often is broken and sometimes annoys, God, if you don't do that, we've got nothing. We've got nothing but, you know, a slowly fading ancient ritual that a lot of you grow up doing and still feel like you need to do. Unless God shows up by the power of his spirit. And in Acts 2, we see this new family, this new church emerging, a new way to be human, a picture of the new creation, God through Jesus bringing back the realities of the garden. And the ingredients in the garden are these four baked into this Jesus pie that apparently everybody around these early Christians kind of wants to take a bite of. A lot of them are taking a bite and going, this is the best pie I've ever tasted. Some are taking a bite saying, it's poison. But at least they want to know what's going on. What is this aroma that we're smelling? What is this new thing that all these different people ethnicities, cultures, races, languages, think about all the nations gathered at Pentecost, would all be unified around this message that God has spoken in these last days by his son. And you can cease striving, cease working, cease making it about you, cease wondering if the gods are to be appeased and know that it is finished. And so they devote themselves to these four things. And we as a church are devoted to these four things. People want to know, well, what's your church about? Well, the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and the prayers. And I wonder if you've ever seen God work powerfully through prayer. Can you think of a time? I bet a lot of you can. By the way, maybe that powerful working was, Lord, please do this, and the answer was no. And you were mad at first, like a toddler. And then years later, you said, thank you, God, that you gave me what I needed and not what I wanted. I remember uh, being at Harbor uh, North County in San Diego. This was in 2013. 
And there was a merger between two churches taking place. Now, write yourself into this story. One church is the older established church, but they've been on a steady decline for 10 years. But they remember how awesome and wonderful they used to be when they were the cool game in town. But now they're basically generally a group of, you know, older, dedicated, Jesus-loving Anglos in North San Diego County. But they've got the building. And that's like gold in San Diego if you have a building. Then there's this young, spry, crazy, wild, multicultural church plant. 60% Asian American, mostly Korean, some Chinese. Then Anglo, pastors on staff. You got an Asian guy, you got an Indian guy, you got a white guy. It's just the melting pot. And they're young and they're crazy. And, you know, of course, the older folks, as they should be, are a bit suspicious. And the Lord's working this plan for a potential church merger. Can it be possible? And I was in on all these meetings, you know, meeting with the elders and then the, you know, bringing the elders' wives and bringing the staff and bringing, you know, the wise men and the wise women in the church and let's plan and let's plot and let's trot and spreadsheets and flow charts. And I mean, we must have blown through like a hundred whiteboards, connecting dots and all this. And it was just, it didn't feel like it was going to happen. I mean, it's all nice to talk about merging a church, but take these two churches demographically, socioeconomically, culturally, and that's not an easy thing to do. And then I'll never forget, one of the guys on our staff raised his hand, and this is after the Lord knows how many you know, strategic planning meetings with Harvard Business Review and blah, blah, blah. I think we should have a prayer meeting. Oh, what an idea for Christians. Just, we're so smart and so self-reliant and so self-dependent. I mean, that's what we do, right? We fix everything. We don't, we don't run to prayer. We run to our gifts, our tools, and our ability to fix and control and get the job done. Well, that was one of the last times in my life. Well, I know. It happens with relative frequency, especially when I'm hanging out with Sandy Hoffman because he's got the Holy Spirit. But I mean, this is one of those times where you felt, I mean, I, I'm cynical. I, I have a lot of doubts, okay, folks? I, I have degrees in philosophy. Like, it's, my dad's a scientist, you know. It, it was real. All of a sudden, you have this, you know, young Asian tech guy praying with this, you know, older white guy from San Diego, and this, you know, all, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came down into these prayer meetings. There was a series of three or four of them, and that's the thing. That's the thing that God used to merge this church. Now, was it messy? Of course. Were there ongoing challenges? Of course. But that is the thing that God used, prayer, and his power through prayer, his people. You know, if you believe in me, come humbly, called by my name, get on your knees. It's part of the reason that every week we have an opportunity to kneel in the service, and that, that's not no pressure to kneel, and some of you can't kneel, and that's fine, but it's the reason we do it, because by good, we are really not in need of much, most of us. I mean, I'm talking like Maslow's hierarchy of needs here. Most of my needs are emotional and they're my own fault. But I mean like food and water and shelter, like we kind of have most of the basics down. So every week we say, no, it, it's good for, you know, sort of middle, middle upper class Santa Fe, you know, the horseshoe around Santa Fe demographic that we are to get on your knees before the king to get on your knees and admit that the power of God comes not from us conjuring up the fix, but through humble, dependent children 
simply being willing to ask their father for the good gifts he's promised in advance. I recently saw a shirt and I related to it because I was eating healthy that night at P.F. Chang's. You know, it's funny. They always bring out the food. There's like that lazy Susan and the guy goes to like put it on the thing. I'm like, I don't share mine, dude. Put the Kung Pao right here. You don't need to put it on the wheel. That's all for me. And I see this guy across the room and he's got the shirt. I'm like, I need this shirt. On the shirt, it says, it's not a dad bod. It's a father figure. And I was like, that's going to be on my gravestone. That's me. And so when it comes to our prayer life and the challenges that we face in not only our personal prayer, but really praying corporately, because you have to remember, you know, we, we read it through our sort of American modernist individualist glasses. This was about corporate prayer. It was about God's people coming together to pray in unison. That's the thing that made everyone go, whoa, what are all these weirdos who are so different doing together? That was the thing that caused the awe. When it comes to our prayer life, we need to call it what it is, dad bod. By which I mean, it's definitely not as bad as it could be. So we're not here on Mother's Day to like heap on guilt. And you're like, dang, I actually felt pretty good before I got here. <laughs> now he's going to talk about how bad we all are at praying. Thanks a lot. Lunch reservation. No. That's why I say dad bod. It's certainly not as bad as it could be. But there's certainly room for growth. And the growth is growth in relationship and trust and believing that God actually cares about you. You see, there's all sorts of things that, that, that prevent us from believing that the power of God works by the Holy Spirit through prayer around the word as we gather. I mean, certainly there's our, our pride, right? <laughs> I, I don't need to pray. I don't have time to pray. In fact, I only have enough time to do things. And we forget that, that beautiful quote in The Resonance by Oswald Chambers, that prayer doesn't prepare us for the greater work. It is the greater work. I mean, I struggle to believe that. It's 2021. Who needs prayer when you got Amazon Prime? Who needs prayer when you can get it in two days? And yet that prayer meeting and that church merger was proof. That is the work. So pride. But also prejudice. Not only am I not going to pray for these sinners over here who don't deserve it, they need the law. We'll pray for them later. Take a shower first, then you can jump in the bath. But as I do pray, I often find myself like those early disciples, distracted, falling asleep, praying my own laundry list of needs, refusing or very infrequently praying for my enemies. Oh man, I could analyze my enemies all day long. I'll analyze why they're doing what they're doing, how it's related to some family of origin, you know, past trauma, so that, you know, I can justify myself in my frustration toward them. Think about, you know, how I can keep my distance from, but pray for them? Pride, prejudice, and of course, our pretense. Let's be honest. We often worship the gift and not the giver. I mean, I see myself all over this. Sorry, I'm a sheep too. Some of you older ladies in here that pray are more spiritual in your pinky finger than I will ever be. We all need this. We're all here. God, I'm going to come and pray. Give me what I want. We worship the gift and not the giver. 
The good news is that God doesn't look down on us as children in our frailty, in our weakness and indifference and say, that's it, I'm done with you. Not even when our worshiping of the giver is making him through prayer the giver in our own image. And perhaps this for me is the pinnacle, right? I mean, if I see one more hashtag thoughts and prayers, I might throw up in my mouth. Like we're just so weary of it. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. This is the way that we have, we have cheapened and made vain the reality of the God we pray to. God, I have way too much to do to deal with you, to be in relationship with you, to know you, except when tragedy strikes, and then I'm going to roll up on you and rub the lamp. Remember? Aladdin? Yeah. That's, that's a movie that has a lot of gospel messages if you watch it right. Oh, man, we are just, we're weary of the script. We're weary of, you know, hashtags to a God that we only pray for when we need the appropriate PR. I think the strangest thing, though, about my heart in this, and probably yours, I mean, we're trying. Lord, we're trying to pray. We, we want to pray at all times. I wake up and pray in the morning before I grab my phone and stop looking at how I had, you know, $10 in stocks that's gone down to four. You know, I, I, want, to, I want to spend time with you. And that's what's so weird. That's why this is about the heart and our affections, not about doing. Because some of y'all are like me, and you're already like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Give me my three points, please. And I will, hold on, but give me my three points to improve my prayer life. What do I do? Hmm. Even that inclination of our hearts betrays the depth of our idolatry. For it's not about doing, but about being. The prayerless life isn't about you missing what you should be doing. It's about a lack of relationship with the one who really wants to know you. And I think this, for some of us, is the hardest part. He wants to know you. He wants to be with you. I mean, we sang this earlier, right? This wild little verse, you know, where, where in the song it talks about, you know, God is... Uh, heaven without you? I'm trying to remember, you know, I wrote it down, and now I can't read my own handwriting. You didn't want heaven without us. And if you're like me, you read that, and you're like, I don't think so. The Lord is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. I will slap you with an 80-pound version of John Calvin, A to Z. But don't miss that the beauty of God's sovereignty in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is that he creates out of love. So although there's much more to say about that line... It's not any less than that. The reason God created and the reason he goes as far as he goes in Jesus to redeem is because he wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And I think if we're honest, and for a few of us, that's the really tough part. Like, nah, nah. I, uh, guilt, shame. God, I mean, no. Nah. If I'm, if I'm doing okay, you know, if I'm doing good. If I, if I had a good week, God might want to hang out with me. If I've been having a bad week, I got I to gotta get right. I got to get right with the Lord first. That is straight out of the pit of hell. You heard me. Because the only thing that gets right with the Lord is the death of Jesus Christ, his son. 
And you come with empty hands by faith, and that is enough. And therefore, we don't have to obey. We want to. Therefore, prayer isn't a fearful obligation, you know, sinners praying before the hands of an angry God, but it's the dangerous duty of our own delight to know the one who wants to know us. Does that sound like a relationship you'd actually want to have? Because the other one sounds bad to me. And if I didn't work at a church and have a mortgage, I wouldn't want that at all. So the text begs the question, do we believe in the power of God? Do we believe that God will work in prayer? Will we be the dependent ones? Acts chapter 2, this new family, this new creation community is devoted to being dependent, not self-reliant. Devoted to dependence. And, And prayer works in that in three gospel ways, three gospel ways. First of all, prayer works in our dependence because prayer helps us know God. Prayer helps us grow in God. It reshapes and reforms us as we pray. We who are the ones praying are literally being reshaped in the praying and remade. It's not only a blessing in that we get to know the Lord vertically, but horizontally, we are the ones who are then different as we leave having communed with God. And lastly, prayer helps us go where God's heart goes. Prayer puts us on our knees. Prayer says, forgive them as you have forgiven us. So prayer works in that it helps us know God. And I think there's a lot of confusion around prayer. I really do. There certainly was for this group of early Christians. On the one hand, you had a very strict, very serious-looking Jewish pietism Only certain people could pray, and they could only pray at certain times. They could only pray certain prayers and only pray them in the right way. And you better be a dude in a black robe with a sweet hat, tassels, and not a woman, and much less not a child, if you were really going to be heard by God. Oh, but the sort of the Roman echelon of pagan deities was even worse, Because for those folks, you had to pray and you had to work yourself up into an emotional state. And you could just hope and pray that as you prayed, whatever God was going to hear you that day, you know, hopefully Zeus wasn't busy in the back room with Aphrodite, that you were going to get your prayer right, you were going to make the right offerings, and they were in a good enough mood to do something about it. So on the one hand, prayer had become religious pietism, and on the other, it had become fear. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, you don't need to be like the hypocrites who want to be seen, but you also don't need to be like these pagans who just go on and on and on because of the fear. You got to cover every base, every God, and just hope you got it right. That's what prayer is not. So what is prayer? Simply humble, dependent relationship and conversation with the one who can answer. I love what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. It's really great. What is prayer? Well, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. Here it is, Lord. Here's what we want. We're not afraid. We know you hear. For things agreeable to his will, though, Lord, here's our desires, but you do your will. In the name of Christ, for Christ is the one who has completed the work, he's the only mediator between God and man. With confession of our sins, because God, we, we don't have to be fake. We can be real and honest before you. 
and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Lord, even on our worst days, when we pray, we're going to be thankful because we know that even though this whole world falls apart, you'll never leave us or forsake us. That's Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 98. By the way, parents, grandparents, that would be a great one to just print off and go over with your kiddos at the dinner table. That's what prayer is. Someone might say, well, but God is sovereign. He knows everything. Why do we need to pray? If God knows all the things, then what's the point of praying to him? Well, because God wants to be in relationship with his people. And in the same way that the Lord has ordained good food as a means to satisfy our hunger, he has ordained prayer as a means that he delights in to accomplish his will. So is God going to get it done? Yes. But he delights to do it in and through his children who he loves so that he gets the glory, so that God's the center of the story. So so that God's the one that we're bragging about. When we're talking to our friends, and man, I mean, this is going to sound totally crazy, but we've been praying about this thing, and God showed up in it and helped. And sometimes help isn't just I got what I want. Sometimes help is I didn't get what I want, but he reminded me that he loves me. Prayer works to help us know God. I just want to say lastly about knowing God, that prayer invites us to know God deeply in everything we're thinking and feeling. And this is going to be scandalous and audacious and darn near crossing the line for a few of you. So buckle up because I'm excited about it. Read the Psalms, 150 Psalms. Full realness. I am convinced that the reason that most of us don't like to pray is because we come with, you know, Sunday you, all buttoned up. We come with just religious stuff. You don't feel like you can actually go to God as if he's your father and tell him what you're really thinking and what you're really feeling, even when you're frustrated with yourself, with others, and with him. The Psalms are replete with this language. God, where are you? God, why are you not being just? God, I'm really frustrated down here. God, why are you asleep? I mean, you read that psalm, it's, it's almost as if in the Hebrew, colloquially, he's mocking God a little bit. Like, Lord, do you sleep at the wheel? I mean, how dare you? Unless it's a real relationship. Unless it really is a child who can really be honest. That's what I love about kids. That's why I've got, I love we got all the noise in the back. Because kids don't play by your rules. They don't care. If they're having a hard day, you will know. If you brought home vanilla and they wanted chocolate chip, you will know. Little dictators, they will let you know. And if they're having the best day of their life, it's just effusive and contagious, and you will know. The Psalms, which was literally Israel's hymn prayer book, here is how you pray and approach God in worship corporately, is full of people being honest with the full range of their emotions before a holy, perfect, omnipresent, omnipowerful, transcendent God. And there is not a dichotomy there. There is no problem with that because prayer doesn't only work for us to know God, but to grow in God. That's why Jesus gave us the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. We can kind of rush through this point because we've already prayed the Lord's Prayer. You have the pattern. It's okay to pray it word for word. You should do that. But use it as a pattern for your prayer. Our Father in heaven, okay, God is holy, that matters, but he is here. God is transcendent. He is sovereign. 
There's not a quark, atom, or molecule that's out of his control. I can know that when my life feels out of control, but he's imminent with mercy and compassion, not demanding of you to be on your knees, but getting on his knees to wash your feet. That's crazy. Glory be to your name. God's glory is the center of all of this. Not your successful, beautiful, you know, boutique, put a bow on it little life. And guys, I think we really need to be careful about this. Especially in Santa Fe, because I think a lot of people come to Santa Fe to go, I worked really hard and now I'm done. You know, I worked really hard and I'm, I'm kind of over it. I put in my time. That's spiritual voyeurism. If God has you here in Santa Fe, it's so that you can actually be involved with dirty hands and dirty feet in the needs and the work that God wants to do in the city. Your will be done. Your kingdom come here in this place. And then we see that there's daily bread. I like Costco better than daily bread. I'm not French. We all live far away from the bakery, right? I want Costco bread. I want bread for like the next two years. Now I feel like I'm in control. Some of y'all are preppers. You have, I kid you not, water bottles to the top of your pantry and food that will last when the zombies come for at least six months. Congratulations, because at the end of six months, you don't know how to grow a single plant, so you're done anyway, but whatever. That's what we want in our sin. Give me the six-month bread. God says no. Every day is going to have enough troubles of its own. You're going to get what you need for today. You know why? Because you need to be with me today. You don't need to not be with me because you got to store it up for six months. You need to be with me today and every day, and I will provide. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. And lastly, forgiveness. Man, did you read that little thing? That verse 14 and 15, I'm like, come on now, Matthew. Why'd you got to sneak that one in? We were all good. You know, don't be a hypocrite. Don't babble. Here's the pattern of prayer. And then he whips out, for if you forgive others... God forgives you, and if not, this is because if we're being shaped and reformed and repatterned by grace into this new creation humanity, then prayer, prayer actually tenderizes our need for vengeance. I know every one of you in this room can think of a few people right now that definitely deserve God's judgment, or at least a few lightning bolts, or at least a really bad stub toe. I mean, you could think of one or two for sure. But I love this quote from Billy Graham. Another spin on a similar saying, you cannot pray for someone and hate them at the same time. You cannot pray for someone and hate them at the same time. Even if you are asking God to restrain their evil, you should also be praying that he will change their hearts. And so it's knowing God and being shaped and patterned after the life of Jesus through prayer by the Spirit that helps us go with God. You see, what happened, what happened for this early church was really powerful. We kind of miss it when we read the scripture because, I mean, I would miss it if I didn't read the commentaries. And it's just hard to see that the tongues of fire, okay, in one sense, it's the presence of God's prophetic judgment, but in another sense, it's the new temple. The temple was full of light, and the temple was painted like the garden, the garden that was lit up, 
Now it's the people of God that are the new garden that are lit up. Now the tongues of fire are on them. Now God's people become a house of prayer for every tribe and tongue and nation, which is unbelievable. Because we all have that babble in us that we like people like us, and we're very suspicious of people who are different than us. Go with God. Because prayer is the fuel of missions flame. I've been thinking about this. We're talking about global missions. Fact check me on this one, guys, but I can't think of a single significant revival of the gospel of Jesus Christ that started with anything else but prayer. It starts with prayer. And I want to be really careful with this because I am the chief of sinners, but I'll be honest, I hear a lot of us talk about, well, you know, the country, the this, the that, the economy, the millennials. The, and I'm, You know what I want to say sometimes is, do you really care? Because we gather to pray regularly. Like, if you don't care, that's fine. But if you really actually care, then let's, let's prayerfully put our money where our mouth is. This is what it means to go with God. Prayer fuels action. And where God guides, he always provides. So prayer means that we pray for the world. We pray for our enemies. We pray for people on both sides of the aisle. We pray for those who are in authority, even if we don't like them. We pray for them because we know what they really need. It's like at the end of the matrix where Neo can see through everything. I can tell looking at most of you, it's your favorite movie, okay? He sees through them and he sees what they really need. Prayer sees what people really need. What we need isn't more cultural power or more education or more money. What we need is for the Holy Spirit to show up and work in ways that will make the world go, there's no way they could have done that without God's help. And here's the end, the promise of prayer. This is another 20 minutes, so let me make it 30 seconds. We're not great at prayer, check. But it's a dad bod, it's not as bad as it could be, check. Pride, pretense, prejudice, all challenges, check. But here's the good news. Fathers, mothers, brothers, grandparents, sons, daughters, here's the good news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And guess what? Jesus is really good at prayer. I mean, I don't want to be weird. I'm feeling extra weird this morning because John's gone. I can do whatever I want. But I'm like, this like gets me really stoked, man. I want to do a kickflip and a preacher cry. And like, this is exciting stuff. Jesus is good at prayer. So you're not great at it. You're growing in it. Not because you have to, because you want to, because his grace loves you, want to be in relationship. You're not great. He is really good at prayer. And who do you think he's praying for? He is praying for you. Yes, he kept the law perfectly. Second Adam. Yes, he died for your sins and to impute his righteousness to you. Yes, he rose from the grave to conquer death. But where is he now? Not, honey, I shrunk the kids hidden in your heart. Where is he now? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, making unending, infinite, constant, perfect intercession for you by name. 
For every sin, for every failure, for every broken relationship, for every need, he is calling out your name before God the Father and saying, they are mine. And if Jesus prays for us, can we fear? If he is still praying for us, can we despair? No. We are the ones who are devoted to dependence on God. And he is the one who is devoted to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy to us. Uh, We come honestly and humbly on our knees. We just, we need your help. Because we, well, maybe I shouldn't say we. I'll just say me, Lord. I love my life too much. I don't like it to be disrupted. I like my routine. I like to feel when things are in control. And that's natural too, Lord. You don't, you're not beating me up for that. But your word reminds us all that what we really need, if we really want to see God's power operative in our life, in our church, in our city, is to depend on you. Lord, to be honest with you, completely honest with you, and we can. And then you are completely honest with us. My child, I love you. But sin is going to kill you. And I'm here to help. And Lord, you just don't, you don't only come to help with words. Everyone in this room who's tried to parent a teenager knows that sometimes you just need to be quiet and provide food. And so, Lord, you give us this meal. We come by faith to it. Not because our faith is so strong, but because the object of our faith, you, Jesus, is strong enough to save even those with the weakest of faith. That's actually good news. So meet us here, we pray. Amen.